0: all right well welcome back this is episode four of the two dudes running podcast um i'm your co-host samuel uh and i'm christopher and we are joined today by a a very special guest our first guest actually which is pretty exciting um it's our collegiate coach from elizabethtown brian falk yeah so um you want to introduce yourself and everything uh well you've done a good
1: job of it already um but yes, I was your collegiate coach, <laughs> and my name is Brian Falk, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you. I have enjoyed the modest percentage of your previous broadcasts that I've listened to <laughs> up to this point. Um, I'm sure I'm one of your bigger fans, yeah. but um, and I'm also flattered that you wanted to to come here and talk to me, and um, you know, hopefully we can learn something from each other here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we figured it was Chris's idea actually to, to start, you know, thinking about a guest and you were definitely the first person that came to mind, just kind of bringing it full circle back when, you know, our journeys kind of really began in running. Yeah. So, um, how about like how you got
2: into running? Um, like maybe your like story through childhood, however much you want to share, um, (laughs)
1: Well, since you asked, um, when I was in fifth grade, so I, I grew up in a little town where there were a lot of youth sports, but not everything. And, um, you know, I, I, I did everything that there was to do. I just didn't happen to be very good at any of it. So, um, in fifth grade, our phys ed teacher held this field day every year, which was like a track meet in the schoolyard. Um. I remember, I remember being, um, in a sprint race and on a relay and at the end of the race or at the end of the meet, rather, he put on this distance race Mm -hmm. around the backyard of the elementary school. And it was a four lap race, which, you know, looking back, it was probably, I'd say maybe a thousand yards total. And, um, I'd gotten housed in my sprint race, and our relay team didn't do very good, so one of my buddies and I decided to jump in the four-lap race to see if... I don't know, just basically to keep ourselves entertained. Mm -hmm. And um, the gun went off, and everybody took off like crazy, and uh, he and I were like kind of hanging out in the back, jogging and laughing and talking, and about two laps into it, I noticed there was a lot of people walking in front (laughs) of me, and I was starting to pass people. So... um, I started pushing a little harder, and I pushed my way all the way up to second place. And um, that was the first time I figured out that maybe, you know, I just hadn't found the sport that I was that I was best at. And, um, you know, fast forward, I, I grew up in a really little town with a small high school. Um, many people that have come through here and run have heard my story that, you know, we only had one fall sport, and that was football. So there's 100 kids in my class, um, and there were probably... 75 guys playing football, maybe more. Um, you know, I wasn't seeing the field very often. I got knocked around pretty hard, but we didn't have cross country. So that was kind of what I did. Um, so I wound I get through four years of high school, never ran, uh, cross country. I, um, I was on the track team all four years. I qualified for districts a grand total of once, um, because we only ran in March and April in the first half of May. I just, you know i was just kind of out there wearing the uniform and having fun
2: yeah
1: when i graduated from high school i didn't ever really plan to run again in an organized way but um when i went to college i you know found myself getting you know really out of shape not a lot of recreation going on um and i was in living in philadelphia going to temple when I started running on my own just for fitness and recreation. It started coming back to me really fast. And, um, I was jumping into road races and doing better than I thought. So I contacted the coach, the temple coach, a guy named Chuck Alexander, um, and said, you know, would, would you let me just walk on, just try out? Mm -hmm. And he did. And so, um, and I was 19, and that was my first time running in a cross-country race. And I had a blast. Um, I wasn't very good. I was, you know, JV level. I mean, he was kind of doing me a favor, letting me wear the uniform. But, you know, I was be- at least I was beating the other walk-ons. We had five or six guys try trying out that year. I was beating all of them. And um, I could beat, like, if we had, like, lazy 800 runners that didn't <laughs> really like cross-country. You know, if I pushed, I could beat them. Um, and that was when it kind of dawned on me that I'm, re- I really enjoy this sport a lot and I would like it to somehow become my profession. So I got into teaching phys ed. Um, we, uh, we didn't have a team after that 85 season. They wound up cutting the program, but I was definitely hooked. So I got into phys ed with the idea of becoming a coach at some level and, um, you know there's more chapters to the story but that's basically why why I'm here today I, I just I I like doing this and I really wanted to help other people enjoy their ability just yeah. kind of what it boiled down to
2: so it was yeah. like that first like freshman year in college where you really started to find like a love for the sport it was not it was sophomore year it was sophomore year. freshman
1: year I lived in the
2: dorms at Temple
1: and there there we were advised not to go outside at night for any reason <laughs> so um, I didn't, I didn't run. I didn't really do much okay. of anything other than just like, you know, intramural sports. Yeah. You know, it was not real exercise. You know, I put on a lot of weight, as you can imagine. You I mean, people do their first year of college when they're not working out. Yeah. Um, sophomore year, I moved off campus with a buddy and took the subway to school, like most of the undergrads were doing at that time. And, uh, w- was when I started running and started enjoying running, um, that i I realized, like I've been missing out here, that this was a little bit more of a little bit more my my calling, you know
2: yeah
0: I feel like it's that's a really uh something most people that have been running a long time eventually find that there's going to be a period inevitably due to injury, something circumstantial in life where you take a break from running, whether it's actually a long time, like a year, short, like a month, and you come back and you find out like, wow. I was really missing this. this, means more to me than I realized. And I feel like having that, whenever it happens in your life, or if it happens multiple times, yeah, it's kind of re, uh, I don't know, jumpstarts like, the feeling again.
1: Yeah, you know, I was living in an apartment at 44th and Chestnut with my friend Mark, and um, feeling like I wanted to, to try running again, but I hadn't. I hadn't actually gone out the door yet. (laughs) And then I flicked on the TV one Saturday in October, and it was the Chicago Marathon. Mm -hmm. And there was a a famous Chicago Marathon where Steve Jones from Great Britain just busted off the front and tried to break the world record. Mm -hmm. And um, he went out too hard, and he faded a little bit. He wound up missing it by one second. But I just remember being so gripped by it that I just like put on my shoes and went running for the first time in a really, you know, a really long time. And, um, that kind of got me going. And, um, you know, again, I started jumping in road races and thinking about, um, I I really wish I could be on a team. And, you know, that's, that's what inspired me to contact
2: coach Alexander. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you decided that you wanted to become a coach off of that? or Yeah, kind of. I wanted to, yeah. So I, I had,
1: I I was <laughs> pogoing between majors the first couple of years, because I didn't really know why I was at that college, other than to get out of my little hometown. Yeah, I just, I wanted to be away. I had a friend that was a year older than me that was going to Penn, and loved it, and you know, she told me, and I had another friend that was going to college in Chicago, and he loved it, and they said, you know, you gotta, don't do the state school thing, like yeah. go somewhere in the city, and kind of just see what the what the world is like mm-hmm. and um, well I wasn't going to Chicago and I wasn't getting into Penn but I knew Temple would take me <laughs> so it was the only school I applied to and um, and I went there and I just to, for the sake of not being undeclared I applied as a business student my dad was running a business in our hometown and you know I just said oh, why not um, I didn't there was nothing about it that inspired me um, I took some communications courses. I liked those a little bit better, but I had a, I had a professor that um, said, you know, you shouldn't go into communications or broadcasting if you don't have a deep voice. Okay, <laughs> the guy was a throwback; like he used to be on TV in the Philly in Philly in like the the nineteen fifties or something oh, yeah. or sixties. Yeah. So I gave up my communications career <laughs> after that, and um, but and then then I started running and realized I was really enjoying it. And I thought this would be a really Great way to make a living i didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher or a coach. I just went into an academic advisor and asked her what you know what should you do what should I do rather and and she said that you should become a teacher and use that to get into coaching so
0: that's what I did
2: huh
0: Very practical <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i I guess one question I have is um like going through your journey of kind of like recreational running for a while, like even in high school, like being with the team, did you have much in the way of guidance? I, I guess probably not very much. Right. In terms of like some sort of role model in the sport or uh, was your high school coach, the track coach, were they really like hands-on or was it more just kind of like do your thing and let's see what happens?
1: When I was in ninth grade, we had a couple of pretty good senior distance guys on our team. And again, track was the only spring sport at Port Allegheny high school. In those years, mm-hmm. so everybody went. So we had a big team because it was that or nothing. Yeah, there was no baseball or lacrosse or any you know, to to dilute the talent pool. We all just went out for track. Boy, God so, so the way So these two distance guys, um, the the running, like the first running boom was kind of going on then, like yeah. late seventies, early eighties. Sure. And um, these two guys felt like they knew more about training for distance running than our coach did. And the truth is, they probably did. And I really liked our coach. She's a really nice woman. But we ran. I've told you guys, we've we ran intervals every day oh. of the week, five days a week. Um, we were off on the weekends. I never. We never did any kind of distance run after the first week of practice. It was just twos, fours at four eights all five days a week, unless you had a meet. Mm-hmm. Everything was all out, and everything was a walking 400-meter recovery or a walking 200-meter recovery if you were doing twos. So we were always tired and miserable and angry and um, (laughs) didn't run very fast. But, like, Coach Williams was awesome. She was really nice, and she liked us, and she encouraged us. And I don't know, but what I was going to mention about these two senior guys is one of them was a dairy farmer, and to my knowledge, he never ran again after high school. The other kid went to Ohio University... Because they had a, a family out there in Athens, Ohio. I think that's the town. So. Um And walked down to the team. And by the time he was a senior, he was running close to 30 flat for 10K. Oh, wow. And he was like a 10-minute guy in high school. Yeah. So he, he turns out he had all this talent that just wasn't
0: mm-hmm.
1: developed, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Partly because of our coaching. Partly because we didn't have cross country. You know. Um, I, I just didn't really know I just did the sport because it was the one I was the least bad at Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it well enough you know I wasn't a star but um it was when I got to college and kind of saw I got a bigger bigger view of things that I realized that this might be something that that fits me as a career yeah
2: um so sort of going off of like coaching and like the the coach's effect on athletes um on a recent let's run podcast they had uh, the coach of the brooks beast danny Mackey, and they asked him um a question like how what effect do you think you have on your athletes and he said that if you had to quantify it basically yeah, yeah. he said at his best he thinks he has maybe a three percent effect on his athletes <laughs> and so i think that may be true for like professional runners like if you if you take danny Mackey and then you go to josh kerr yeah like and sure maybe and like you transfer josh kerr to jerry like is it is it going to be that much different like probably not but i feel like um the effect that coaches have in college is much greater than what coaches have at the professional level so i was sort of curious what your thought thoughts
1: are on that have you either you guys ever read that the new york times story they did on tom donnelly when he was i think it was right before he was inducted into our coaches association hall of fame no, no. You know, but i'm sure it's still online somewhere no, I would love he to has a famous out. quote about this the people from the new york I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure i remember this right i think the question came from a new york times reporter for this article and they asked him what was the percentage influence that he had on, on everyone's success. Yeah. And obviously, they've had lots of great athletes here. Um, and he said maybe 1%. Huh. And everybody, you know, oh, that's ridiculous. He's just being modest. But the longer I go, the more I think that percentage is shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's just so much about what the people want to do with the opportunity you give them it's so much about how driven they are to succeed at running. It's so much about how, what other things they enjoy doing with their free time, whether they're positive or negative.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I, I feel like every year I just feel like it's more and more out of my hands how yeah. far people get. And I try to, to, you know, have give the influence a, you can. Absolutely. I mean, I give a lot of the same speeches every year. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I don't want to start telling stories because I don't, I don't want people that know us to, to, you know, kind of trying to guess which individuals I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not here to give anybody away. Um, you know, I was never God's gift to the concept of, you know, single-minded focus in in academics or athletics when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I was like really kind of fumbling through but there's a certain type of person that you know is going to be a lot better when they graduate than when they got there and then there's another certain type of person where you're just kind of hoping for anything yeah and I, I I just not sure how much it helps when I say those things you know if you keep if if you if you forget that you have to double mm-hmm. four days a week all year round if you really want to go anywhere. If you have to be reminded of that over and over,
0: it's kind of indicative of
1: yeah. Know. I mean, it, it, that's just one thing. Like right. weight room, yeah. do you really need to be told over and over every single week that you need to lift? Right. You know do do the do the benefits of strength training um, just disappear from your brain? Yeah. Without. Someone there you know yeah. they didn't for you guys, yeah. and I know you had your good days and bad days and sure your days that you were more dedicated than others, like any human um but it there's just a certain list of qualities that people bring with them when they get here, and i I you know will meet anybody where they are and and do my best to keep keep them moving forward, but it is ultimately you know very athlete yeah the athlete reaps what they sow
2: yeah well i i think i'd push back a little and say that you still (laughs) instilled those values in us as well like i i don't know if i would have been as dedicated if you hadn't had created a culture of dedicated runners beforehand like i don't know if i would have found the love for it like that
1: well the 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 I mean, you can make it into a chicken and egg thing, but the the culture is the runners. The culture is the kids. Yeah. And, you know, theoretically, hypothetically speaking, you could bring in 10 people next year who are all, you know, state-level runners, and they could destroy your culture because they're not, deep down, they're not really going to college to find out how well they can run. Right, yeah. Um, You just, you need a team full of people that, that... have their it's, mind in the
0: right place. Yeah, it's
1: clear that that's why they're there. Um, I, you know, I'm going to name one name just because it's a recent, it, it just it came up over the weekend, but um, Christian Gingrich,
0: you yep. know, very
1: yep. modestly successful high school runner and he's already made huge progress. Um, and it was funny because my wife was his middle school cross country oh, coach, yeah. if I ever told you that or not. Yep. And she was telling me when he was in eighth grade, and we were recruiting his brother oh, unsuccessfully. Yeah. <laughs> she said, don't worry, get, that, get, get his brother. His brother's going to be good. Um, and she was right, and it was because of just a lot of the qualities that he brings to his training every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's only in his uh, you know third semester of this or fourth semester of this, so he's, he's not a finished product, but he's already made a ton of progress, and I, I'm sure he's not done.
2: What were uh, his PRs in high school? Do you remember? I, gosh, it's right around eleven minutes. He might have br- He might have
1: run. Yeah, he might have run close to ten minutes for an indoor three k.
2: Okay. And Th- then that kind of running. And then this weekend he ran fifteen fifty four ish. I think it was fifteen fifty two. Fifteen fifty two for five thousand mm-hmm. meters. Mm-hmm. And that's way. Is that like faster than his mile PR pace in high school? Um, it must have been. It must have been close. I don't close. think it was faster, but it was close.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's like five o. Oh, what six pace? Five yeah. Five pace. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just one example of a, right. of a person that 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 has the qualities. There was something like, oh, I know what it was. He rem- he was doubling five three. And mm-hmm. you you guys know what it's like to do those doubles at the conference yeah. meet, especially the distance one. Um, and we had that experience last spring where we did our outdoor championship in one day, and there oh. were a bunch of kids that doubled ten five in one day. Yeah. So before the meet, we talked about what are we going to do between these races to give ourselves a fighting chance, because I didn't know how it was going to go. Um, and we talked, you know hydration and getting some protein and we you know we, we just had a plan a ABCD you're going to do this after the 10k and and give yourself a chance to run well on the five mm-hmm. and not only did he do it and run well but more important he remembered it and the first thing he said to me when I saw him after the 5k is I remembered everything we did in May and I'm going to do this like that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, He didn't have to be told. Like Until, he had the
0: initiative. Yeah, okay. he, he,
1: exactly. He told him once and he remembered it and he did it. And he came back and ran really well in the three and, um, you know, almost scored there. He was. He wound up seventh.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. So
1: it was a good day for
0: him. Yeah, I, I kind of like that you touch on that, to be honest. And I I didn't know, I didn't really think too deeply about what your response would kind of be to that question Chris posed, but... I think that makes a lot of sense in my own experience, not obviously as like a coach, but just as an athlete, being around people that are very similarly minded and some that very much aren't. Um, It very much is like what you make it in college, at least like here at Elizabethtown. Like you have what you need to be successful if you want to be.
1: Right, well, I don't know if you've ever heard this secondhand because I've never said it to you, but I've said it to a lot of other people that when you guys were seniors, I just, you know, the the team was the team. And um, I just remember that you walking in every day with your massage stick or your foam roller or whatever <laughs> you had, and there was just this air about you that was like, all right, you guys, we're going to do this, this, and this. And we're this team, we're going to be good this year, and you guys aren't going to screw it up or else. <laughs> like, I think yeah. anybody on the roster or other, you know, other than maybe Chris and Liam, because they, you know, they were your peers. Yeah. But the, all the My younger <laughs> guys, I think all the younger guys were almost afraid uh, to deviate from that, to deviate, to defy what was expected from you, <laughs> never mind me. Yeah. So I, I think you had more influence on that team than I did,
0: really. Well, I'm, I'm flattered and glad that. You perceive that because that's definitely how I wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I, I've told a lot of people that. Um, uh, that was my that was my impression of the team that season.
0: I, I don't have anything else really on that. Uh, you want to touch on the modern? Yeah, strategy? yeah, something yeah. I I really been wanting to pick your brain about for a little while now, um, is just like the evolution that we're seeing in running. Right now and have kind of been seeing ever since the inception of like nike's newest iteration of super shoes as people like dub them i mean i just ran a14 this past weekend i was wearing the <laughs> nike vapor or no the dragonfly um mm-hmm. their newest one of their newest spikes, and yeah i i just am curious what your thoughts are i feel like a lot of younger people are like willing to adopt them. I was resistant for a little while, but like after a few months, I was like, oh, what the hell like why not um yeah what are your, what are your thoughts on like all that kind of stuff?
1: Well, one of my coaching buddies we were texting, and um I think it was right after Christian ran eight thirty three at the armory mm. and he goes and he's I, you know well, how much faster does he have to get to go to Nationals? we were having that conversation yeah and he said if I was anywhere close to nationals, I would run out and buy those super spot, you know, whatever they're called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's no way I'd step on the track without them if I was that close. I said, you know, you're probably right. And I went back to Christian and said, <laughs> you know, if I was as close to nationals, I would never step on the track without those spikes. Um, I didn't put it, put it that way exactly, but I did, I did make that point. Um, yeah. But it wasn't my point. It was John Hartpence's point. John, if you're listening, that was that was all you. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess they are what they are. I hate the idea that you can get a performance edge from your shoes, but I guess all shoes, since the beginning of, of time,
0: yeah, help the runner
1: run faster in some way, shape, or form. Right. Um, there was always going to be. There's always one model that's a little easier to run fast in than the others. Um the idea of getting an an artificial rebound effect from a carbon plate or something like that is is something that I wish they wouldn't permit um i mean i you know they can they can hold professional autobi- automobile races of every type and have rules to yeah. prevent cars from having unfair advantages over other cars and this has been going on for you know a hundred plus years i I don't know that it, it's a good idea that one pair of shoes should be able to take, you know, two, three, five seconds. You know, obviously we're talking about different length ratios sure. here, but yeah. um, that's just foreign to me. And I think you should be able to, imp- I think, that I think I don't think it should be allowed. All right, here I go. <laughs> o- old man yells at Cloud. <laughs> you asked, since you asked, I don't yeah. think it should be allowed. And I think officials should be able to impound spikes. And, you know, I hate seeing the sport go that way. I really yeah. do. Because what's next? Yeah. There's something There's something new coming that's going to be a, a bigger advantage than the one that the guys are enjoying now, the women are enjoying now also. Um, you know, where's it going to end?
0: I don't know. I... I've heard people say it's when Nike kind of put out the... Uh, The four percent, like the original like plated shoe, the road racing shoe. It was like opening Pandora's box. Like there was never you were never putting it back in like after that. Like it was it was open indefinitely.
1: Well, since I don't race anymore, I don't even know, but our our other companies are making them now, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of companies have responded and put out some yeah what people have said are really, really good shoes, like in relation, but Mm Yeah, I don't know that there's a lot out there that quantifies like how they actually stack up performance-wise.
1: But there's no appetite from the people that put, you know, put on the big meets and finance the sport to to stop this because the gets, more the yeah. faster people go, the better it is yeah. for the show. Yep. So I don't think it really matters what I think about it. I think it's kind of just going to happen now and, you know, you probably better pay attention and try to keep up if you're gonna compete.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's kind of where I think a lot of people's heads have been at. It, it's kind of foreign to, to think that, you know, you can go out and buy a pair of spikes and maybe that'll give you the edge you need in a competition or to reach a, a certain time. But then again, like at the same time, like you said, this is definitely a, a different specific problem has a different nature than previous but like yeah all throughout the history of running shoes like to a degree that's happened it's just like right now it seems like it's at a different level
1: mm-hmm. yeah i hate i i hate saying this out loud but it it is what it is <laughs> yeah. you know that's just that's where we are yeah so and um <laughs> One my buddy that is the manager of the inside track in harrisburg just sent me a message i'm getting a new a new shipment of dragonflies let your people know so yeah. i did because you know
0: yeah
2: yeah
1: you're either going to be racing so, with them or you're going to be racing against them so yeah
2: daniel bought a pair today yeah. <laughs> that's good <laughs> well that's good i'm excited to see what he does in them yeah. yeah i think it's um it's exciting when like everyone has them yeah it's like because like, then it's like it's pretty level mm-hmm. it, it would seem and i mean sure the times might be faster but if it's like a championship race it just and like everyone scans. has them it's like that's more exciting i think
1: um, yeah it is amazing how fast people are going these days but um you know that's good i mean that's that's the point Just yeah. to go
0: fast so do you think uh just real quick based on everything that's been happening time-wise in the NCAA across all divisions, do you think that a big part of it, like how much of that do you would you attribute to, obviously you haven't run in them, but like the spikes, the new spikes, or do you think there's like other factors at play?
2: Like uh, you mentioned the COVID year, like mm-hmm. people yeah. had more opportunity to train.
1: There are definitely some people that are benefiting from the extra year. Um, there are definitely some people that are benefiting from the shoes. There's, I mean, coaching is better than it's ever been. There's mm-hmm. more people that are at, at the beginning of their career. So basically, every, everybody now that's coaching has grown up with the Internet. Yeah. So that was when coaching started getting better because you could start getting information. I've got, like, books on this shelf. Like, I, I literally, like, got off the D-bus one day on my way <laughs> home from class and went to a bookstore. And I think this was it, actually. Um, I bought this book for myself because I didn't know, like, I was starting to run, and I didn't really know how
2: to train. It's uh, titled The Self-Coached Runner by Alan Lawrence and Mark Sheet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: So, you know, you just, it's whatever you could find in the bookstore. See, I didn't have a coach that I could call. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I wasn't. I, I didn't have a coach that I could call. I didn't run in college. There was nobody for me to go to. Yeah. So I just would buy books. And then, you know, a few years later, I started going to clinics. Um, once I was teaching at the high school, or I started the middle school, but I was coaching at the high school, and they would send me to clinics if I asked. And, you know, I learned gradually. But now everything is so available online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And And, like, people your age are coached by people that grew up with the Internet. So just people are starting out with so much more knowledge so there's Mm -hmm. so many more good coaches out there that it's raising uh, you know the rising tide lifts all boats yeah you know and it's it's I mean it's wonderful you know it's it makes it harder to compete for sure but it is it is a positive thing for
2: the sport yeah Uh, so that sort of brings me to another question that I wanted to ask is like when you're designing like your training plans and everything how do you decide like what to keep what to remove since, like, there's all this information online, like, it's sort of... It can be overwhelming at some times. And it's, there's a lot of conflicting stuff. I think I think you could find conflicting training philosophies out there. How how do you go about that in your head? Um,
1: I don't have a process for it. I, I, you know...
0: I feel like part of it is, I mean, having the experience now, you probably just inherently know like over time like you've seen what what works for certain athletes and what doesn't. And yeah,
1: there's definitely some go-to workouts, but but like it's constantly evolving and changing and people that that had me as a coach 10 or 20 years ago probably wouldn't even recognize mm-hmm. the stuff that people are doing now. Um I I've I've actually come to a point you know where I feel like it's it's less about the workouts than it is um, the recovery between them. Mm-hmm. So it's more about, like, we've all had the experience of, like, digging really deep to finish a hard workout and yeah. then, you know, knowing what that takes out of us and kind of experiencing the fatigue the next day.
0: Definitely. So
1: rather than – I don't labor as much over which specific workouts – I put down for people to do I I, I think more about how tired do I want them to be at the end of it Um, are we hitting all our energy systems often enough we're not neglecting anything yeah Mm -hmm. and are they getting enough recovery before I ask them to do it again so it's become actually a little bit more esoteric and a little bit less predictable and a little bit less formulaic even than it ever was in my whole mm-hmm. career. Um, and the thing, the crazy thing is, like, I can't tell you if it's better or not because I don't know, you know, it's hard to compare different individuals, sure. especially over time from different eras, and know whether this way is better than that way. Um, it's just like a puzzle that just constantly keeps reinventing itself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the people are different, and they're all willing to take on what they're willing to take on they're all capable of willing to take of what they're capable of taking on you know they all have different limits so um I just don't have an answer I can't be any more specific than that and I don't even I can't even tell you what I'm going to do next year
2: yeah well I think that's like a good overview of like the system and everything and I feel like when um people like get into coaching or get into like a new like running they might get very specific about all the workouts and like everything has to be super exact and there has to be like this amount of time between everything yeah and then once they sort of start to understand it they back up and sort of generalize everything and it becomes simpler to understand yeah all right so this
0: is the book that I used when I started okay Okay. Peter Coe maybe training distance runners the art and science of optimal training by two of the world's leading experts so have you guys heard of this book or no I have not actually okay so
1: this book is kind of well known for having training that no one can do (laughs) so this is supposed to be Sebastian Coe's training yeah Um, it's it's highly scientific and technical Um, Sebastian Coe was coached by his father he was Yeah, you know he's an all time great you know his 800 record lasted for gosh like 20 years it lasted forever Um, and uh, David Martin was a a renowned exercise scientist Um, but Peter Coe's training uh, Peter Coe and David Martin co-wrote the book Peter Coe's training was impossibly hard to do and it gave rise to a lot of suspicion about Sebastian Coe and oh. performance-enhancing drugs. When I bought this book, I my first college job, I I had a little group of mid D kids at Dickinson that I coached, and I, I I they couldn't possibly do his schedules in there. Yeah. So I tried to scale it down to match their ability, and it's a lot of speed. It's like three four days a week of speed work every uh-huh. week. Yeah, and um they were dog tired most of the time and there were some rough meets early in the season and even in the middle but when i tapered them down they ran great so i don't know it seemed to work pretty well i would never do this to people now yeah I, it just it was it was like torture <laughs> i mean we were doing you know like tempo run on monday and vo2 max intervals on tuesday and a recovery run wednesday and then hard anaerobic capacity on thursday and another recovery run and then a meet on saturday every week and it was just you know i i just manipulated how how intense and how much volume of each of the types of workouts we did to kind of match what part of the season we're in but it was constant speed work. And a lot of people that I coach with that made some unflattering comments about my training design in those days. Um, mm-hmm. And we always did well, so at the end of the day, they couldn't really say too much, but it was definitely hard on the athletes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just would never coach people that way today.
0: Mm-hmm. I kind of like that, your, the way you had walked through your current approach with an emphasis on like looking at it from the perspective of the time it takes to recover or... At what point, fatigue-wise, the athlete is going to be at at the end of a session? I kind of I I don't think of my own training the exact same way, but I started to more than I did in college. Like I mean, in college, I kind of just did more. So I kind of just did whatever you told me to do. Right, you did um, what you were told. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really think exactly about my own training, but yeah, I I think that's something. I guess you learn. You've probably had the same kind of feeling now that you've been like thinking about your own training a little bit more. Yeah, I've
2: definitely like thought about the recovery in between things. And I think in the fall of this year, I was probably taking too much recovery in between things. And maybe some of my workouts were a little bit too hard. And now I've sort of refined that process, but also in college, I think I pushed back on a few things. So I was definitely like thinking then, um, (laughs) Yeah. I, mean, I was thinking you Sometimes Well thinking you act wrong. a lot
1: you asked a lot of questions. I wouldn't yeah. say you pushed. You kind of demanded explanations at times. Yeah. But that's not unreasonable. <laughs> that's appropriate. Yeah. You know, I I it's it was challenging, but it was good. It was what I, I wish more people wanted to come in here and ask a hundred questions about their training.
2: Yeah, I was I was super interested in it. Um I, I didn't like there, when there was something that I didn't understand, it, like, really bothered me, um, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, I, that's reasonable.
2: Yeah, but, um, yeah, so I, I don't know, yeah, sort of thought about it, too. Yeah. Um, let's see, move on to a new question. Yeah. Should we do this one? Yeah. Okay. That works. Favorite coaching memory?
1: So many. Great memories. My gosh. I mean, I can't name one. Like, it's just, you know, like every, I think this is my 25th year in Division 3
0: mm-hmm. We'll make it easy for you. It has to be between one of us then. Something oh, we... Well, the, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the regional
1: meet in 2019 is an all-time great oh, was... performance by cool. a team that I ever coached. Um, which you know, you guys were at the front of that. I mean, that was great. You know, I mean, I've given a lot of speeches and pep talks, and and you know, laid out a lot of like, you know, master plans. You know, at least ninety percent of the time they're you're overreaching. But you have to, you have to kind of set the bar high. Yeah. You know, reach the, reach for the stars, and maybe you land on the moon. That kind of thing. That's one of the few times I can ever remember where i I laid out an actual like ten out of ten uh, plan for the for the race you know that was actually executed
0: yeah
1: and even exceeded mm- mm-hmm. Since I think I said one well, here, we can get to one thirty, and then you guys got to one twenty nine, and then, <laughs> you know, and then for it to not be good enough was was stunning and shocking and upsetting, and, yeah. and you know mm-hmm. I'm still not over it totally, but you know, <laughs> um, I mean that was a great moment. That watching you guys that day was incredible. Um, the the year that um the women got eleventh at nationals, mm-hmm. what year was that? Twenty um ten. We had and if any ladies are listening love you all um we had um a sophomore named Terence Shank who was incredibly tenacious and was really good at pacing and we had she was our top runner and we had two really good freshmen that year um Tracy Tempone and Eileen Cody who were talented enough to run with her but they it took them a long time to to even their efforts out and um the freshmen would go ahead of the sophomore again and again and again, and they would fade and finish behind her. And they were still doing great, but they were definitely giving up points. So Nationals was finally the time. I just kind of put my hands together like I was praying, and I just said, would you please just let Taryn lead our group today and not go ahead of her? And um, and Taryn ran a great, consistent race, like, like she did, and the other two went with her, and they, you know, they they couldn't stay with her the whole 6k they faded back a little bit um but their plate was like one was in the 40s one was in the 60s and one was in the 80s i think um we had one in the middle and one just inside the top 200 but that was a great that was a great result for that team we were ranked 29th in the country going into that race and we finished 11th that's huge it was like a 10 out of 10 day i remember just like shout like yelling you know joyfully yelling when i saw the 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 score go up yeah um i mean that's a big one um you know there were some i when i was at the year i was at wisconsin eau claire i coached some great kids that had some breakthroughs and it was just because they you know that they were the kind of person that you know they're going to get it done like i was talking about a Mm -hmm. while ago like you just knew when the season was over that these guys were going to accomplish something because they were really devoted mm-hmm. um, and they all ran they all ran great there there were a couple of them I took to Gina Relays and they all ran huge PRs and the one um, woman Beth Lutz got into nationals with her time that night and uh, um, the two guys that I took um, Jules Miller and Kevin uh, oh god forgive me Kevin My, it's been a long day um, They, but they ran 20 Thirty fifty nine and thirty one hundred one, which were massive breakthroughs. For them. Awesome. Kevin Hall was the guy's name. Kevin Hall, just great people. You know, those are some good memories. Um, the time the DMR ran nine fifty six and got into nationals—that was ten years ago. That was the team that I inherited, but they were just a bunch of good dudes that that you know wanted to put their. A couple of them could have gone to nationals individually, but they wanted mm-hmm. to go as a team instead um and we were in a race at the armory they had a last chance meet and it was us and (laughs) yukon and very quickly we were like you know they were on one end of the track and we were on the other end of the track just each running a time trial coincidentally in the same place at the same time (laughs) not racing each other at all because they were you know 10 or 15 seconds ahead of us the whole time but those guys just soloed it and you know and ran a great time um I don't on and on and on. Yeah, I can't. I don't have one great memory. I just have a lot of joyful moments that that keep me hungry in the sport as a coach.
2: Yeah. Um, another question. This one might be a little bit longer, but so I've been coaching, sort of coaching for about two years now. Um, and something that I found difficult is like when an athlete underperforms or gets injured. Like I have a really hard time with that. Um, like I find it very disappointing, and like I feel like it's my fault sometimes. So I was sort of wondering, like, what's your process? Like, how do you assess those situations? Well,
1: if I have an athlete underperform, I feel I feel very upset and feel like it's my fault too. So okay. it's not anything unique. Um, I mean every every runner is their, you know, they all have their own story and they all had their own unique set of circumstances that got into that race on that day. And, you know, there could be any number of reasons why somebody doesn't run well. Um, the one one thing that, that I will say on this is that a lot of people will, will blame themselves and just say they're mental or a head case or they just, you know, and I think that most of the time the, the mental problems, you know, that people accuse themselves of are really physical problems in disguise. Yep. Okay. Either they didn't pace the race correctly, or, you know, they misjudged their fitness. Um, or there's something that's, you know, there's something that maybe interrupted their training a month ago that they forgot about. And when their key race comes a month later, Maybe they felt good for a while and they've had some good workouts, but maybe their fitness still hasn't quite reached the peak that yeah. it was that it could, mm-hmm. or that it could have been. You know, things like that. Um, I just, I've i kind of always operated by the philosophy that if, you just, if the training is going well, the mental problems and the meltdowns and the anguish that, that ruins races um, can be held to a minimum. And if there's really nothing else to explain it other than just somebody freaking out and giving up, well then you gotta sit and talk to them and, and help them develop more confidence and a more realistic view of what they should be trying to do when the gun goes off.
2: Okay. So you still put the blame on yourself, but you think that you only have a one percent effect on the athlete? <laughs> well, you know. Okay.
1: Let me put it to you this way.
2: Yeah.
1: Um I think there's a lot of people that that come to you with enough innate ability and enough drive that the best thing you can do for them is to not screw them up. Okay. So, if you say to you know, to me the the great coaches, the greatest coaches are the ones with the with the that are geniuses about not screwing their athletes up.
2: Okay.
1: Um, now the athletes can screw themselves up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: by you know with lifestyle and you know bad decisions and things like that. But um I mean if do you want to call that an influence? Okay. I guess yeah. I'll take I'll take credit for the for the mistakes for not making the mistakes that I didn't make.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, but um None of it works if the athlete isn't driven and doesn't love running and doesn't, isn't really hungry to improve. Okay. You know, I just think about the people, like sometimes, you've ever watched a race where it just looked like the person wasn't having a good day, but they Mm -hmm. also looks like they had given up trying, like they're just out there running around, like cranking out laps until they get to the end. But you can just see the, the drive isn't there.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: you know you know what if you work with somebody for a while you know what they look like when they're pushing and you know what they look like when they're not pushing
2: yeah
1: um (laughs) i don't know how you can be out on the track and not push just for no other reason just because of how embarrassing it would be to be an athlete and not and race and not be pushing not taking it to the red line Mm
2: -hmm.
1: with whatever you got that day you know
2: yeah
1: cuz it's one thing to be slow and run slow i ran slow i've always been slow yeah. but one thing i never was was running slow and clearly not trying right you know
2: yeah
1: um that was again a story I've a lot of people have heard more than they they wish they had but um you know one of my college coaches um uses for me to keep me around at practice after you know there was a point of the season where i was no longer being taken to the meets the mm-hmm. none of the walk-ons after like mid-season he stopped taking us to meets it was overnight trips and stuff and just the top guys were going but we could still come to practice which i did and he would put me in workouts with guys just to keep them honest
2: yeah
1: just because my like i just wanted to belong so i i I did as much as I could. I ran as hard as I could, as fast as I could, just so I wouldn't stick out for not belonging there. Because I was not a Division One runner on my best day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he would stick me in workouts with guys knowing that it would look bad on them if they let me pass them.
2: Okay.
1: So uh, that's where I kind of learned about just testing your pain threshold every time you're Mm -hmm. supposed to be racing or else what are you doing
2: yeah It was sort of like this steve prefontaine like to give anything less than yeah Yeah.
1: he needed but he was he was a hammerhead like (laughs) if he would have listened to his coach he would have died with a medal you know what i'm saying like yeah Mm -hmm. i tried to be smart about it yeah you know the older i get less extreme and and of course you know we must acknowledge the older we get the tougher we were the smarter we were, the you know, the more we listened to our coaches, like, the yeah. older we get. So, you know, I I may be revising my own history a little bit in my head without realizing it, but I I learned to fight and strain every day because that was the only way for me to keep my uniform. Yeah. And most people don't have that. Certainly nobody here, yeah. you know, has you to go have through that. You don't have,
2: like, that negative force, like, pushing you.
1: Yeah, and just, like... I don't want I don't want people thinking I don't belong,
2: right?
1: You know, there was one there was one day it was toward the end of the season, coach Alexander had us on the track. The workout was 12 quarters with a 200 jog. And I still to this day I've never broken 60 for 400 meters. Mm-hmm. And at that time my personal record for 400 was like 62, which was run in the first lap of a 4x8 relay leg. Yeah. Okay, but I just couldn't go any faster, and you know I don't remember where that workout started. Probably sub seventy, sixty eight, sixty nine, and toward the end we were running like sixty five, sixty four, sixty threes, and I might have like the last one might have been sixty two, and I was you know seeing spangly things in front of my eyes, <laughs> and um, it was just a level of suffering that I had never experienced. And I just, the thing that that I'll remember most about that day was afterwards the other walk on guys were like putting her arms around me, like, treating me like a hero for doing that.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, just like, man. You know, the one guy goes, like, oh, you, you earned a lot of people's respect today.
2: <laughs> you know,
1: and, and I don't know if that was really true or not. Maybe mm-hmm. the walk-on guys, yeah. because we were just kind of cannon fodder. But that was when I realized, like, if you're not going to suffer, like, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just a waste of time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's all fun and games to have fun while running but like if you're on a team and you're competing why would you not like you're not compete if you you claim to be a competitor but you step on the track and you don't just like turn into an animal when the gun goes off like I don't know something's missing
1: yeah yeah I just and I take that to every sport I mean 33 years old I took up ice hockey Mm -hmm. and joined an adult rec league and I played novice one season, and I moved up to see. I had a buddy that kind of dragged me up through, and he was pretty good. And he kind of dragged me up through. And if I was on his line, I could hang in there and not be embarrassed because he was constantly feeding me pucks in front of the net, and I would get goals. I could never create a goal on my own. But one thing I could do, and I refused to not do, was forecheck like a maniac because even if I sucked at hockey... I could force other guys to make mistakes and then maybe one of my teammates who could actually play could like steal the puck and score. That kind of stuff happened all the time. But I would just be ashamed not to be out there pushing it.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: You know? I that's just a lesson in sports that I think everybody needs to like look in the mirror and see if they're picking that up or not.
2: Yeah. yeah. I would agree. So as a coach, like I, I think probably by now you can sort of pick out like you can sort of see it in their eyes when like people are suffering, and like do you have a lot of respect for those people then um, sure, yeah, I mean,
1: in a word, yeah um you i mean it's what it's it's what is expected, yeah, so in that sense, you know why make a big deal about it it's it's what you should do, but mm-hmm. you know not everybody does, so of course, and um. It's hard. And I hate, I don't want to put people into categories of like, you know, these people want it and these people don't because we all have our days. Yeah. And there were some days that I didn't want it as much as I should have. I can think of some mm-hmm. races in high school that I would like to have back. But um, you, everybody, it's not really me, like the kids on the team know who lays it all out. It's yeah. true. You know, and that's kind of what matters more. Mm -hmm. and I always you've heard me say a thousand times your number one job is to inspire the other people around you Mm -hmm. and you can do it a lot of different ways Um, but if you're not doing it with your effort you're not really doing it yeah you know and that's like the guys on my team that were like oh man that was a great workout
2: yeah
1: well that's because they know I I I laid it completely all out Mm -hmm. just so Coach Alexander wouldn't feel like I didn't belong there yeah um you know, where your motivation is where you find it. But yeah, you. you the the other guys began, you know, respected me for, for doing it.
0: I, I don't
2: have any other questions. Okay. Uh should we do like rapid fire yeah. questions? Yeah. Um all right, so just like I think we have like three questions. If I'm or, capable of that, yeah. I'll do my I'll yeah. do my best. Uh favorite book about running turns to the (laughs) shelf
1: um it would be one of the george sheehan books which i don't think i have here um running and being a total experience i think is one of them ah there it is right look at that (laughs) it's sitting right here uh it's wow it's philosophical look at that beauty anybody above the age of 50 will probably know but you probably don't have many listeners above the age of 50 our people are pretty old. It's not it's not training, it's it's uh it's it's oh. philosophical musings about the sport.
2: Oh look at that suffering right there, chapter yeah. fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well we're gonna have to read this. Yeah. <laughs> Do an entire podcast on it. Favorite running shoe. It can be you know, from back
0: in
1: the day, I, too. I Yeah, no, I just bought a pair of uh, Adidas at the outlet for, like, 50 bucks that I really like. Um yeah. They're my new favorite running shoe. Adidas? I, don't I couldn't even
2: tell you the the model number. Yeah. I'm not
1: the person. You should not ask me that
2: question. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, favorite race? This could be, like, one that you ran in. I don't know. Um...
1: I have some fond memories of the broad street run,
0: okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: there was a meet in in spring of eighty six three of the guys that I ran cross with and i um, show did the broad street run together and had a blast and um and I ran like fifty six minutes, but for me that was pretty good um the other guys all ran much much faster um but that was a fun day,
0: and i felt I felt good about my running that day I have two other questions what is historically your favorite workout to complete yourself track workout cross country workout place whatever your favorite workout that you did back when you were actually like fully training
1: toward the end when I was running marathons I like doing like like grinding out long runs at like 630 pace okay yeah that was something i liked doing i like doing what we now call blue jay tempos yeah mm-hmm. um if you know you know yeah yeah um i i liked when i was young though i liked doing just like like ladder pyramid interval workouts like two four six eight eight six four two i got i actually got in, when i was coaching myself cluelessly i got in pretty good shape doing those Mm -hmm. um so those were fun at the time but the long stamina stuff is like your bread and butter yeah i just that made me feel that that was the thing that i did that made me feel the most accomplished athletically like i could do something that most people can't do (laughs) i didn't really have that experience much in any sport but um you know there's just not many people willing to take on that much pain for that long
0: yeah I guess my final question then would be, what's your favorite workout to prescribe and to observe? Again, track on the grass, rail trail. Well,
1: when we do the when we do the the last hard workout before regionals every year, which yeah. has been mm-hmm. the same workout for a while, where we do all those thousands and then eight six four two, and everybody's just basically going for it. Yeah, that's fun to watch.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, I, I thought
1: you might say that. Yeah, that's a fun one because um and some years we've done it on the track and some years we've done it on the grass and we've done work that workout out at Nisley vineyards when it was still before like they bulldozed the heck out of it and we can't train there anymore because the trails don't exist that we used to run on mm-hmm. um but wherever we do it it's the one that that i enjoy watching the most and um i kind of take the most inspiration from observing
0: yeah you know I, I would agree with that. Good times. Yeah. yeah. I don't have anything else. I'm good. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we really appreciate this. I'm sure our, our
2: listeners will
0: appreciate it as well. <laughs> well,
2: we'll see. <laughs> I, I'm willing to bet that this will be our most listened to podcast. Mm. Well, I guess yeah. if you market it correctly. Yeah. Well,
1: look, my chariot is about to turn into a pumpkin here, guys. So okay, uh, right.
0: The it, timing couldn't be more perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate it. Okay, Okay, thanks guys.